0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. I hope that you are well. I'm going to do some adjusting up here. Um, it always makes our, uh, our camera team really excited when I walk around and wiggle and do those kinds of things. We're we're in a series that we began Um Last week, actually, and that series is um, in the Book of Job, and we we've been thinking about what it feels like to shelter uh, when it almost seems like all shelters are gone—the shelters that we normally think about trusting in. And so, this morning, I want us to continue that journey. We're going to be. Uh, in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 this morning. And so I hope you, if you have your Bibles, you'll you'll open them there and, and turn there. We're going to kind of move through that. Uh, we're going to take really the whole month of August and uh, just turn our attention to this this biblical account, one of the most ancient of, of books in the Bible, about this man named Job. And uh, before, you know, I, I, I do that, I want to just go back and pick up on the passage of Scripture that David Blayton read for us earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I just want to call your attention back to verse 9. It says this, we get knocked down, and Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, he was talking about those of us who follow Christ. We get knocked down, it's going to happen, but we get up again, and we keep going, now, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that lately kind of feel like been knocked down. Anybody else feel a little knocked down by what's going on in the world? I think all of us do. And uh, let me say this, if, if you know someone in particular, if you have a, a, a friend that you're kind of connected to, and they have had these expressions lately that they're feeling really knocked down, they, they don't know if they're going to get back up, here's what I'd encourage you to do. Text them right now. Tell them to tune into your YouTube channel that you're on. Or maybe you want to uh, text them later and, and, and you watch this together. Because this, this message is really going to be for those who feel like they've been knocked down. And, and may not feel like they're going to be able to get back up. They feel maybe kicked around. Because the truth is we all get knocked down. But there is a way where we can get up again and, and, and keep going. When I think about that phrase from uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 9, I think about some of the great kind of movies about fighters, some of the great fighting movies. I remember uh, my senior year in high school, uh, a movie came out, it was actually a remake of a 1931 film, it was called The Champ. And it starred this little kid named Ricky Schroeder and John Voight, and it was just a, you know, just heartwarming fighter story. And there have been lots of these fighter stories. You know, uh, back in in 2001, uh, Will Smith played uh, Muhammad Ali. That that movie. In 2004, there was a a little bit different kind of movie about a fighter called Million Dollar Baby. Uh, there was the Cinderella Man. There was uh, the Fighter in 2010. Um, and then in 2015 and 2015, 2018 Creed and, and, and Creed 2, but probably the, the, the most famous franchise of fighting movies is what? Rocky, of course, it's, it's Rocky. started in 1976. and the last one made, the title Rocky Balboa was 2006. 30 years. Of, of Rocky movies, and some people said, I was done with 1976, I don't know, I, so I, I kind of loved them, but th- we love movies where someone gets knocked down, but they get back up, and I, I, when, I, when I think of some of those movies, I, I think of Job, man, Job had a beat down, he got beat down by life. He, he was knocked down. He lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his personal health. He even lost his shelter. I mean, his home was utterly destroyed. But in the midst of all that, Job learns to shelter in God, to shelter in God's authority and God's power, God's sovereignty, God's love, God's, God's mercy and grace, now, not only do we love stories about those who get knocked down and get back up, but we, we love rags to riches stories. We love those stories where, you know, people grew up and were disadvantaged, maybe raised in a single parent home and didn't have the opportunity to go to good schools. But, you know, they, 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 they make some things happen and, uh, you know, God may bless them in a unique way and they step into those blessings and they become like a doctor or a lawyer or a senator or something like Those are great stories. This is one of the reasons why some people avoid reading the book of Job, it's because it's not a rags to riches story. It's it's the inverse, it's a riches to rags story. And not many people really love them going in this kind of opposite direction. And Job's response to all that befalls him is really, really classic. I remember reading uh, about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is a, a, an author, writer. He was a former atheist who came to Christ in his adult life. Great, intelligent mind. And one of the questions he always got asked was, you know, why, why do the righteous suffer? And C.S. Lewis responded, I mean, it was just a classic statement. He said, why not? They're the only ones who can really take it. Now, I, I want us to examine and think today what, what was it that allowed Job to take it and thrive, to, to get not down but not out and, and get back up again? Because remember, Job was a real man. We talked about that last week, and he faced real suffering. Um, but his response, I believe, is really worth replicating, in the life of anyone who really, truly desires for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, even when we're suffering. If you truly desire that, Job's life is one to, to replicate. So let's look, look to Job. We're going to start back in verse 1. We read verse 1 uh, last week, and Job 1, 1 says this, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So the first reality that I I noticed in Scripture uh, uh, about Job was this. Job was blameless. He was blameless. But then we're going to see in a moment that not only was Job blameless, but he was also battered. He was battered. Now, I want us to just kind of unpack the first point here for a minute. God's Word says that Job was blameless. If you go back to the old King James translation, it says that he was perfect. Now, that, that doesn't mean sinless perfection or anything like that. He's, it's talking about that he was morally innocent. He he didn't lack anything. He was a man of integrity and moral purity. And so when it says he was upright, what that what that means is is he was somebody that just he was a straight arrow. He He went straight ahead. He did not stray from the path that God had marked out for him. That's this is who he was. He was upright before God. And then it amplifies all of that by saying how he accomplished that. It says, Job feared God and he turned away from evil. So the reason that he was upright, the reason he was able to live blamelessly is because of the fact that he started with fear of God. And then he was able to shun evil. See, one actually follows the other. Far too often I watch people who try to handle evil, try to manage their own sin, but fail. Because they don't want to submit to to God. They don't want a proper attitude towards God. See, it's only then... That you will find the strength to deal with evil, to deal with temptation, to deal with sin in your own life. Jesus's half brother James, when when he was writing James chapter four verse seven, James says this: Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There, there's an order there. You you never deal with trying to manage sin without first properly placing yourself under the authority of God. Because until you do that, sin is going to, it's going to continue to eat your lunch. Evil is going to continue to have its way with you. Now, this description of Job should also do a few other things. One is that it should kind of end the notion that godly people never suffer. There's this kind of lie out there, you know. See, Job, Job was so godly that if you remember, God even brings about, you know, to the world's worst enemy. He, got, he, he says to the devil, not just once but twice, have you considered my servant Job? That's what God says to him because he was so upright. So I, I hope that it puts the, this lie to death in your mind that sometimes gets pushed out there by what I think of as false teachers teaching a false gospel of health and wealth. Good people, godly people, suffer in this life. I think the, the, the narrative of Job, the, the account of his life, should also put the lie to rest that you know, Christ followers never suffer. Or if they suffer, it must be because they've sinned because God must be punishing them some, somewhere, somehow. That's a lie. The book of Job points this out because it, Job was so upright. If there was ever this person who was upright, it was Job, and, and he still suffered. It wasn't because of sin. There are others who uh, kind of pick up the lie and, uh, that says, man, if, if, if somebody just had greater faith, you know, they'd be healed. Well, the book of Job shows us that there's not always a direct correlation between the the strength of your faith and the lack of suffering from disease in your life. Because if there were, Job never would have suffered a day in his life. He was a man of such great faith, God bragged on him. And the truth is, sometimes the best people suffer the most while Sometimes it seems like the biggest creeps in the world get away with everything. So Job, Job is blameless. And that's the first part of his reality. But Job, though blameless, was also battered. He, he was beaten down. And if, when you read the whole book, you'll realize how big an understatement that actually was. I want to I read to you, and you can follow with me, um, a, an excerpt from Job chapter 1. want to start in verse 13 and uh, read through verse 19 so that you can just see the beatdown that this man took. It, it says this, verse 13. Now, there was a day when his sons, he's talking about Job, his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, I don't know anyone that I've ever met who has experienced that depth of despair, that depth of a beat down in such a short period of time—it was just—it just blows our minds. Now, in my own thinking, I kind of summarize what Job went through into into categories. I'm just kind of a category guy, and so I, I see three categories here of the suffering that he went through. First of all, Job went through international terrorism; he experienced it. Second. There was natural disaster that he faced. And third, there was this dreaded disease. The first couple of verses that we read just a moment ago talks about the Sabians and the Chaldeans. These are actually foreign terrorists. Sabians were a tribe from Arabia, and the Chaldeans were a nomadic tribe from Babylon. And in the story of Job, the Sabians first kind of raided and depleted his wealth, killed many of his servants, and stole away his livestock. And then the Chaldeans came and they took camels and killed his staff. Folks, this was international terrorism. And there's always this question about terrorism that has become so pre- prevalent in our society. You know, but long before COVID, the, you know, the, the, the world, we've been really suffering for the last two decades, battling this idea of, of, of international terrorism. When September 11th happened in in our nation. Many will remember this. The big question is, why would God allow terrorism to happen? And I just heard that question over and over again. Why would God allow something like this to befall our nation? Now with COVID-19, people have been discussing the, the idea that, you know, this was some kind of biological warfare or wondering, you know, what does that hold for the future? Listen, According to the U.S. State Department, in the past two decades, there have been 21,000 deaths that have come about every year from terrorism. That's kind of the average. That's, that's, that's the reality of our present world. And it was Job's world at the time. Second... Thing, category was this natural disaster. We read this story about lightning falls from heaven, the fire of God. Then we read the story uh, about this sudden wind that comes and, and kills his family. It just destroys everything. Again, natural disaster is a, a, an incredible cause of death. The World Health Organization tells us that nearly 90,000 people every year are, are killed by natural disasters. And friends, remember this, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. This, this, this world belongs to God, and yet we face suffering. Third is, is this dreaded disease that we see. And I take you over to chapter 2 for this, because things go actually from bad to worse. In chapter 2, verse 7... Uh, and 8, we read this. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he struck Job with the loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Friends, that's a physical uh, just picture of really what goes on throughout most of the book uh, of Job. He is suffering as you read through it, you'll discover he, he can't sleep, he has convulsions, he has night terrors. Uh, the the story, the account of Job's life goes, goes on to say that um, it's just horrible. And the truth is, we don't really know what was the cause of his physical condition. Now, there have been lots of uh, physicians who have kind of guessed at it, educated guesses. There's been biblical commentators. Um, some have said the early stages of leprosy. Some said because of all of the, 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 the problems that he had physically, that it was probably that Job was in kidney failure. Um, some say it was a horrible you know, kind of skin disease. But the point is this. One moment, Job, this blameless, upright, godly man, is enjoying his life. You know, he's having falafels with his family or something like that. And suddenly, it's all gone. Everything is just taken from him. Now, some of us may feel like it's, you know, just months ago. We were, we were having fun. And now this. And now, now the economy and when you get down to verse 8 that we read, Job, Job took for himself, it said, just a broken piece of pottery, a shard. And he starts scraping himself, and it says, while he's sitting in the midst of ashes. Now, we, just picture this. We, we don't know, are, 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 is this the ashes to his home? Is, 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 he, is, is he in rubble? What's going on there? Some commentators suggest that actually, because Job was now homeless, that he basically relocated out to the city dump, uh, where there's refuge where people come and bring th- their garbage, and that this is the condition we find Job in, sitting in ashes, because that's, they would constantly burn uh, out at that the dump. And and now, just think about it: the kind of the leading citizen of that of that city is now living in abject poverty and he's scraping sores because he's itching from them or trying to find comfort. Job would have suddenly become a social outcast, just kind of rotting in the slums, if you would. But Job believed God and he believed in God. So so what should he do? Well, that, this takes us to kind of a second picture uh, of Job's reality. And th- those, the first reality that we looked, like, looked at about Job being blameless but battered kind of took place externally. The second one takes place more internally. It's what's going on in the reality of Job's own heart. And, and here's what we see. Job will respond in sorrow, but he'll do it with worship. Respond in sorrow, but do it with worship. Let's look at the response in Job's heart. Uh, chapter 1, verse 20 says this Then Job arose and he tore his robe. Now, in, in ancient Middle Eastern cultures, this was a deep uh, sign of, of grief or maybe disgust to tear a robe. It's, it's an actual response to your circumstances. And then it says that he shaved his head. Now, we don't maybe quite get that, but the idea, I think, is this, is that he was, he was expressing that his glory is now gone. It, it's, it, it's absent from him. It has left him. And then the Bible says, you know, he, he, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground. He just, he collapses. I don't know if you've ever been with someone when they receive horrible, heart-wrenching news, maybe of a child dying or a spouse dying. I've seen people physically collapse, just fall, sobbing at the weight of news like that. And what this shows us is that Job, he was no super, you know, hyper-spiritual, detached, aloof, kind of stoic personality. He, He... he struggled in this. He was understandably, he was just shaken to the core. He was emotionally uh, shaken. He was, he was distraught. And if the, if the text had just stopped right there, if verse 20 had just stopped there, we, we'd all just say, man, I get it. I understand it. That's, that, I would be just like that. But verse 20 doesn't stop there. Because the description after all of this was it says he fell to the ground and he did what? He worshipped. He went through all the grief. He he experienced this horrible sorrow, this this, this incredible sorrow. He he tears his robe. He, He shaves his head. He collapses on the ground in worship. In verse 21 and 22 we see Job kind of worshiping out loud. He says this, Naked, I came from my mother's womb. Naked, I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22 tells us in all this, all that he experienced, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now, a question that begs to be asked here, I think is this? Is that possible? Is it really humanly possible? I mean, come on. When things got this bad, I mean, he loses his children, his wealth, his health. When, when the stock market crashes, when everything's negative, when everybody's worried about death and life and the economy recovering, can people... Worship God in the midst of that. We can. God's people can. And here's why. Because pain always moves you. Pain always moves you. Now, it's like a fork in the road. You get to decide which fork you're going to take, but pain is going to push you to move. And you can either go down the pathway that moves you farther away from God or closer to God. See, pain and suffering and hardship will do one of two things. It will either break your back or it will drive you to bend your knees. Some people, when they suffer, I've discovered, become bitter they normally turn inward, they get filled with self-pity, they complain, they become resentful at life. I, I, I bet you probably know someone like that. I hope you're not heading down that pathway. But some people just become bitter. Others I would classify as their, they, they become people that, are, that, that think of themselves and of life as being buffeted, that all of life you know, they just kind of grin and bear it. Life is just this, you know, horrible thing. I'm just going to weather all the storms. That's about it, That's about it for life, you know. You can just, you just see it. They're beat up, and, and they, they, they kind of become tired and uh, nihilistic. You know, everything, there's no purpose. Everything is meaningless. The, the great King Solomon went through a season of life like that. We read in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, Solomon saying, everything is meaningless. Completely meaningless, he says. It was a season in his life when he would, as I would describe him, he was a man who was buffeted. So some become bitter, some become buffeted in their mindset. But you can also, and and I've seen people, and I hope you have too, some people become better. And I'm not saying that just because it's some clever talking point or it's a rally cry, come on, we can all get better. It, it's true. Some people get better, and we see that in the life of Job. I, I read recently about a Christ follower who uh, is a business owner. He owns a, a small chain of six restaurants, and because of the virus, uh, where he lives, it, 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 it was a hot spot. And he was re- recently interviewed and uh, was talking about possibly losing all of his businesses, losing his livelihood. And he, he, he spoke these words. He said this, I came into the world with nothing, but I'm going to leave this world with salvation in Jesus Christ. He took Job's words and, and added even more life to them. And see, this is something that's true for anyone, anyone who has come to faith in God, through his son Jesus, has a personal relationship with God because of Jesus. Job said, you know, I came naked, I'm, I'm leaving naked. He said, I, I came with nothing, and I'm going to leave with nothing. But this man says, I came with nothing, but I'm leaving with Jesus. He's echoing the words of Job. Job says it this way. Uh, you know, Job says, I, I came with nothing, but I'm, I'm sheltering in God. I'm just, I know that. I'm just sheltering in God. Job starts leaning into God. And here's the truth. People who get better in suffering are people who start leaning into God. And when when wor- worry begins to rise up in their thinking, instead of giving themselves over to that, they worship. See, friends, when you feel like worrying and giving yourself over to it, don't give into it. Now, yes, we we are all going to be touched by by fear, but you don't have to give in to fear. You you don't have to succumb to it. You you came with nothing, yes. You're not going to take anything out of this life. I don't care who you are except salvation and maybe some relationships that you take to heaven with you. You, Nothing else is going with you. So whatever you have in that in-between time, whatever you have right now, man, you could thank God for it. If, if, if you have health, thank God for it. If you still have a job, thank God for it. If you lost your do- job but you still have a marriage, thank God for your marriage. Thank God for what you have right now. When you start to worry, begin to worship. See, that's, that's Job's internal heart response. One last reality that Job faced, because his story gets even worse. I know you're saying, How? well here's how because job was also resented but it led him to resolve we saw job comes down with this disease whatever it it might have been and then again in verse 8 he took this you know piece of pottery broken shard he's scraping himself and in verse 9 his wife enters the picture in verse 9 in In that picture, Job sitting in ashes, scraping himself with broken pottery, his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? You're you're still going to hang on to all that stuff you've said you believe, Mr. Upright, Mr., Mr. Blameless Spiritual Dude. Why don't you just curse God and die? Now that's great spousal advice, don't you think? You know? What is she saying? I mean, she's basically looking at her husband in this situation and saying, will you quit being so holy? Just curse God. Don't even strike you dead. She's basically saying, it would be better to be dead than face what you're going through. In verse 10, Job says to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, before we just kind of run past this Mrs. Job moment, I want to take a side trip for just a minute. Because I've heard messages, uh, a lot of messages about this passage of Scripture. I've read a lot of commentaries on it. And Mrs. Job usually takes a beating um, in, in in messages and, and, and commentary. Um Uh, several commentators talked about her being like the embodiment of Satan himself. And trust me, please hear me say, she was way off base. I mean, she really was. But think with me for just a second about, about her. She just lost 10 children. They were not just Job's kids, they were her kids. She just lost all of her financial security. She just lost her home. And now she's got to take care of this husband who is now from head to toe blistered with some kind of disease. This is and remember this is before the friends finally show up. It's just the two of them. Left destitute. And so she has an emotional response. These circumstances would have devastated most anyone. And so there's this reaction. And if you've ever been around suffering people who are suddenly cast into suffering. When they receive the, the, the worst possible news. When they're, when they're suddenly injured somehow. Sometimes what, what just comes out is something harsh. And I just want to say. In that moment. Don't judge them. That is not a clear definition of of who they are. Because of some recent circumstances, um, I've been doing a little bit more reading about how our brains work and how they're kind of hardwired. And one of the things that I've learned is this. All human brains are hardwired to first give an emotional response before we give an irrational response. See, every, every impulse, every, every sensory uh, receptor uh, is fed through our spinal column and our spinal cord runs into the brain at the base of our skull, at the back of the brain. And so before that signal reaches the frontal cortex, the lobes that where rationality and reasoning take place, they first pass through what's called the limbic system. And the limbic system is where our emotions are are housed. And so we're actually hardwired, every human being is, hardwired to have an emotional response before we have a logical response. And that's why people suddenly in pain react sometimes and say some things that once their reason kicks in, they wouldn't say. Now, having said all of that, I don't want to completely... Let Mrs. Job off the hook. We are still responsible for the words that come out of her mouth. We are still responsible for the actions, you know, that our, our bodies engage in. And so, what she told her husband was horrible advice. Now, actually, unknown to Mrs. Job, this is exactly what Satan was hoping for. If you remember, recall back in Job chapter 1, verse 11. One of the things that Satan said to God was, if you will take away Job's blessing, he will curse you to your face. Job didn't do it. His wife may have, but Job Job didn't. And so when she says curse God and die, I believe with my whole heart that Satan and all his minions went, yes, here it comes. God, watch this. Friends, here's what I'm getting at. Sometimes good people who are close to you sometimes might give you bad advice. In in a crisis, you're you're going to get a lot of well-meaning advice, sometimes from some very good people, and sometimes it's going to be wrong because it doesn't come from a divine vantage point. Satan can work through people who, who are close to you. Let me, let me give you an example. When Jesus announced to his disciples, I am going to the cross, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. One of his closest followers, Peter, basically stands up and says, Lord, I ain't letting that happen. I'm going to put a stop to this. No way, Jesus. You remember what Jesus said to him Matthew chapter 16? He looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus rebuked Peter, like Job rebuked his wife. And see, you know, you need to be warned that sometimes people close to you will not always give you great advice, especially if they're suffering too. See, we're tempted oftentimes to listen to the advice of people who were close to us because there's a strong relationship. How'd that work for Adam in the garden when he listened to Eve? He loved her. He, he wanted to, to accept her advice. What about Abraham listening to his wife Sarah? Both times these men took bad advice because there was a relationship there. And the temptation often is so strong just to give in Especially if it's advice coming from a loved one and you've just been beaten down and in crisis. But let me just get personal here for just a second. Maybe, maybe you're viewing this right now and, and you're feeling like giving up. Maybe, maybe you've had enough. Maybe you're just saying, I, I've had enough of this, th- this, this world. I'm, I'm, just, I'm tired of it and you feel like giving up and you want to quit. And you think that's the easiest thing to do. But friends, it's the worst thing you can do. And I want you to know I'm, I'm praying for, for you. I'm asking God to, to give you the strength to go on. There are people in this church praying for you. And we want to pray for you by name. So you can go to our website and, and, and fill out one of our prayer forms and our prayer team and our elders and our staff. We will pray for you. To be strengthened by God. Right now it feels like you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. But here's the deal. God has promised to be with you there. The best way out of the valley of shadow of death is not trying to get around it. It's to just go through it with the Lord. Because once you're through it, one of the things that you're going to discover is that God was at work in the misery. And he's forming you. And he's forming your suffering into something beautiful, something powerful. Job was resented by his wife. Only person left in his his life. He was resented by that, that person. But Job's response was with resolve. If you look back at verse 10 again. Job responds to his wife when, when she says, curse God and die. His response is, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. And Job's, re, Job's rebuking her. but uh, And I imagine it was hard to say to her, knowing the suffering that she was in. It was, it was his wife. She was in pain. But this needed to be said. And, and he wasn't saying, oh, you're a silly woman. He, he wasn't doing that. What he, what he was saying is in keeping with what's found throughout Scripture. The psalmists talk about it in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. The Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Job says basically, wife, what you're doing is you're trying to reason in these circumstances and you're not including God. And that's foolish. So here's what's happening. Job is saying, you speak as one who's foolish. And then he he asked this question, shall we receive good from God and not also have to deal with evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. What, What Job is saying, friends, here is great theology. Great theology. I mean, think about it. Should we only walk around saying, hallelujah, when things are going good? And then when we run into difficulties in this life and struggle. Shouldn't we still raise a hallelujah? Should, shouldn't we still bless the name of the Lord? One of the things that I have discovered is that the contrast between our bad times and our good times make the good times all the better. you know I, I, I tell you what when we when we have opportunity uh, as David, talked about earlier and and prayed for when we have that opportunity to regather in person instead of just being online we're going to really be happy about being together as the people of god even some of you who complained about having to go to church you're going to be glad to be back there were kids that you know used to say do i have to go to church today and now some of those same kids are saying "Man, when are we going to get to go back to church See, God is using this mess in, in that way and in many other ways. Now, as we begin to kind of close out on this teaching today, I want to I just want to point out what for me were two big takeaways. Two what I think of as sheltering techniques from Job that we find in, in chapters one and two. They're, these are resources, if you would, that I see that Job engaged that enabled him to shelter in God no matter what. He faced no matter how horrible life began. And we talked about this in a lot of detail, the first one earlier. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here. But basically it's this. When feelings of worry rise up, worship. Worry's going to come, but instead of giving into it, instead of getting knocked out by it, you're going to get knocked down. But when you're knocked down, worship the Lord. The second one we just looked at, we just saw the resource that Job had, and it's this. When trouble comes against you, the thing that makes you strong is truth, the, the truth of God. This is why Jesus, when he was here, tells us that truth will set us free. See, in a time of crisis, it's trusting in God's truth that gives you strength. That was the sound theology that Job had he was standing on. He said, do we just raise a hallelujah when things are going good? No. No. We worship God even when it's difficult. That's right doctrine. Psalms 119, David writes these words. He says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my afflictions. David was at a season of his life when he wrote these words that he knew that if it wasn't for the word of God, he would have just fallen out. David goes on to say, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding. He's saying, God, your word helps me. It, it, it gives me light in darkness in my life. It gives me strength. It makes me strong. It helps me go on. You know, we're, we're, still, we're still stuck here in this global pandemic. We're, we're still existing in a season of national unrest that's just unbelievable, division in our country. But I, I want to encourage you to do something that's kind of, it's just, it, it, it'll feel weird to do right now. Instead of only asking continuously, God, how can I get out of this? How can we get out of this? I want to encourage you to start asking what may be a better question right now, and it may be this, God, what do you want me to get out of this? Not God, how can I get out of this? God, when are you going to get me out of this? But God, what do you want me to get out of this? What do you want me to, to walk away with? God, what do you want me to learn about you, about, about your kingdom? See, friends, God, he never wastes pain. Pain in the hand of God is preparation. It's preparing you for a deeper walk of faith. In the hand of God of the living God, your pain is a pointer to the promises of God that are in this book. It just it, it points them out because God is always, always faithful to his promises. And every promise That's in this book. And this book is filled with promises from the Lord. Every one of these promises, the Bible tells us, is fulfilled in Jesus. God's only begotten beloved son. Have you trusted him? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Are you still wavering on that one? The Bible says if you will come to Jesus and you will see the beauty of Jesus if you will see what he did on the cross for you that he died to take away your sin so that you could have a relationship with God because your sin is keeping you from God the Bible says if you repent if you turn from figuring out your own way to do that continuing to live and if you will repent of that and put your trust in Jesus alone the Bible says you'll be saved. You can do that right now. You can just go to Jesus. you can just pray, "Dear Jesus. I've tried it. I've, I've tried it in this life. This pain is overwhelming. I've tried figuring out my, Jesus, I need you, come. Save me. Many of you watching have trusted Jesus, but here's the question for you today: Are you trusting Jesus? Are you trusting him in this pain? Are you still blessing the name of the Lord? Are you more like Job or have you become more like Mrs. Job? See, God is faithful. He is faithful even in your pain. He will be a shelter for you. He is the only sure shelter in this life. Let's pray together. Lord, we come. We come having looked into your word. We come, Lord, seeing this man whose life you put on display for us to learn from. This man who went through a pain and a sorrow that we cannot even fully imagine. And yet he put his total trust in you. He sheltered in you, oh God, in the midst of a catastrophic storm. Instead of giving in to worry, he worshiped you. Instead of only looking at his trouble, he trusted in your truth. And Maybe where you're at right now today, maybe that's what you need to do is trust in the truth of God revealed in Jesus. Go back to that original moment, maybe when you did trust him for your eternity and realize that not only can he be trusted for your eternal salvation, he can be trusted in this in-between time while we wait. Will you trust him? Because he's faithful. He's faithful to his promises. He is there for you. He is the only sure shelter. In this storm, will you go back to him today? Will you recommit yourself to fully pursue life in him, letting him be your king, pursuing life in his kingdom? Jesus said, if you'll trust me, if you'll call on my name, salvation is yours. Maybe as the worship team leads us now to think about how faithful God is. You'll turn to him maybe for the first time or return back to him this day, even in your suffering, to find power, to find a true shelter for any storm. Lord Jesus, we come. We give ourselves back to you now. It's in your name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.